Well, let me tell you something a lot of you already know about me. I love being a father. I, I remember when I was a little kid, eight years old, I, was, I just knew I was born to be a father. It wasn't until I met Pam that I knew that I was born to be a husband. <laughs> but my kids were younger. One of the most favorite things for me in the world was taking them to some place that they really wanted to go. But one of my least favorite things as a father was the fighting and complaining on the way to that place they wanted to go. <laughs> or the fighting and complaining on the way home. I'm sure some of you can relate. Many of you can relate. But I wonder how God relates. What he thinks of the fighting and complaining amongst his people. Well, you don't need to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you would say today that you have turned to God... Put your trust in Jesus Christ, and you're looking forward to going to heaven. You, you real, some of you can't help it. You have to raise your hand. I get it. But, but you, 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 you want to go to heaven. You're, you're so excited. Are you so excited about it? Yet let me ask you, this past year, how much complaining have you done? I think... This past year, uh, not as much so much in the fighting realm, but in the complaining realm, I think I've heard more complaining from followers of Jesus than I ever had before. In fact, it's not that I think. It's probably more than any five years put together. And sadly, the Lord has had to show me that my reaction to people's complaining has been my own complaining <laughs> to God in my heart, to my wife. And so I've been asking myself the question, how do we stop this complaining? Or how do I stop this complaining? So the title of today's message is Grace on the Way Home. Our text is Numbers chapter 20. It's a difficult text. It's an odd text. Let's set the scene. The people of God are in the wilderness, but it's the tail end of the wilderness wanderings, and they're ready to enter the promised land. Now, let me back that statement out for a second. They think they're ready to enter the promised land. They've been out and wandering around probably for about 38 years, part of their what we call the 40 years of wandering. Now, in the Bible, there's lots of gaps. So I think we get this picture that they're spending most of their time just walking around aimlessly. I think, actually, they spent most of their time camping, <laughs> where they were like, when are we going to get out of this place? When, are we gonna, when is something going to happen? And we know the history of them with Moses. They were a discontented and complaining people. But now things are looking up. But then all of a sudden, there's a crisis. And what does a crisis do? A crisis reveals a lot about what's going on in our hearts. A crisis reveals what's going on in their hearts. It reveals what's going on in our own hearts. And I just think about Moses. It, that, Moses is one of the guys, when I get to heaven... You know, after the first billion years that I can't believe Jesus let me in, 
while everybody else is online for the Apostle Paul, I'm going to beeline it for Moses, and I'm going to say, how in the world did you endure all those people, most scholars say two, three million people, and all their animals and stuff like that, how did you endure for 40 years all of that complaining? I mean, just think about how many heavy heart days that brother had when he was just like, God, please, this is just, this is just too much for me. And we all know that, that constantly having a heavy heart can take a tremendous emotional toll on us. It's not easy at all. And what I know of being a follower of Jesus for a while and, and knowing a lot of you guys and other friends of mine who are followers of Jesus, often when we're trying to bear that heavy burden ourselves, it's taking this toll on us that God did not mean for us to carry, and he warns us about it. So often you'll hear people say they'll, they'll, they'll fall into some sin or something will happen or this bitterness. Satan will get just a foothold of bitterness in their hearts, and, and they will say to you, God has been warning me about this for years. But they didn't, and we often don't, take the warnings to heart. We don't do the soul care necessary to try and get ourselves back to a better place. So let's look at this. There's a lot. We have to look at where, where, where the people are in this, and where Moses is in this, and where God is in this. So let's look at Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. It says, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And look at this. Miriam died there and was buried there. Now, if you know this chapter, it is so easy to skip over verse 1. Especially the words, Miriam died there and was buried there. Why? Because it seems to be so disconnected from the rest of the story. The story's about the, there's no water and the people are complaining there's no water. So whenever you come across this random sentence in the Bible that you're like, what? Why? It's so disconnected from what's going on there. Don't just skip over it. Say to yourself, why did God put this in there? Now, this is an important point to remember in this entire passage today. We largely believe the author is Moses. And Moses himself throws in this kind of just remark in there. And he's not going to come out looking too good in this passage. He throws this remark in there that his sister died. This was his big sister. If you go back to Exodus 2, she helped save his life when he was a baby. And in biblical history, Miriam is a big deal among the people of God. In fact, her name translated in the New Testament is Mary. Now, who's named Mary in the New Testament? About half the women in the New Testament. Everybody's named Miriam. Everybody's named Mary. Micah 6.4, Micah wrote, 
probably a thousand years after Moses did, says this, the Lord says to the people of God, for I, after, after saying to them, why are you complaining so much about me? says, for I brought you up out of, from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Yet, there's something about Miriam's death that goes beyond just the fact that it was Moses' older sister. Earlier in the book of Numbers, you can read it for your homework, Numbers chapter 12, she betrayed Moses. She challenged the position that God gave to Moses. And if she challenges the position that God gave to Moses, who's she really challenging? She's really challenging God himself. And and interesting, after that, it seems as though Miriam lost or never really fully regained the trust and camaraderie and access to Moses that she once had. It's, It's probably worth noting for all of us that we can be forgiven any sin. But there are times, even though we are forgiven a sin, it is so damaging that our influence in the kingdom of God might not be the same. In fact, our ministry we could be disqualified from. I was talking to a friend the other day, and uh, they, he used to go here, and he now lives far away, doesn't go here anymore, and, and their pastor committed adultery and is out of the ministry. And it's very common, very common. And so he was kind of making excuses for him. And I said, no excuses, he's done. He's done. Is he forgiven? He is. But he has forfeited that position. And that does happen. And it appeared to be something that happened to Miriam. The you know, same is true at your job. You, you might do something and, and, and you, they'll forgive you, but you might get fired. can be so in your, in your marriage. It can be with your friends. Sometimes we betray people to an extent where we damage relationships or we, or we lie And unless there's a massive change of heart, it can often result in tremendously bad consequences. So what about Moses? You know, here's Moses. He's leading all these people. And I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm I'm just guessing based upon what happens after this. It's not like he's making an excuse. He's kind of telling us where his head is at. I wonder, did he have some unresolved emotions regarding his sister? Whether just some, whether some things that just were never really sorted out and they had an opportunity to. Sometimes you don't have an opportunity to. But whether unresolved emotions. You know, I, 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 I'm going to just pick on the guys for a second. I, I, I know it's the same true for the women, but... I know so many men who have dad issues. It's an amazing thing. I'm very fortunate. My dad's gone. I just miss him. I just miss him. But 
but, but you've got to deal with your dad issues or no one will ever be able to talk to you. No one will ever be able to correct you. No one will ever be able to, to tell you what to do at work, in a job, in any stretch of the imagination. And anytime anybody questions you, you're going to get defensive. So I don't know what's going on with, with Moses here regarding his sister. Now, sure, they still spoke. Sure, they still served God together. But what had that betrayal done to him? I don't know. Aaron betrayed him too. It's the two of them. They're like, who are you? <laughs> Moses like, I, I said, I didn't ask for the job. God gave it to me. And you know, if, 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 if we don't deal with a lot of this stuff, sometimes, again, sometimes it's not, it's not possible, but, but it, it will eat away at you. You see, the sad thing is, again, I don't, I'm just thinking why Moses might put this in. The, the sad thing is, and even with Miriam, if she ever really, how it, they tried to sort it all out and Aaron to sort it out. But, but here's the, if you're, if you're in this position where you're, this is all just kind of like swimming around in your head, here's the thing that I think we try and do and we make a big mistake. See, we try to manage our sin instead of repenting of our sin. So, so what they really needed to do was to repent and, and to try and move forward in it. See, we try to control our sin and, 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 and we don't give it to God instead of giving it to God and then asking him to help us to control it. And then often, as we're going to see, Moses is going to buckle under the pressure here. We take it out on others because we've got a lot of unresolved stuff in our hearts. Verse 2 says, now all of a sudden there's the story. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together. Some of your verses say gathered in opposition against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended, some versions say quarreled, with Moses and spoke saying, if only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought us up, brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. Now, that's actually what the promised land is. But, but why aren't they in the promised land? Because 38, 40 years earlier, they get to the edge of the promised land, and their parents, they send in 12 spies, 10 come back, oh, there's a lot of giants, we can't go in there, right? And, and two of them are like, Caleb and Joshua are like, we take this place, no problem, man. And then the people are like, yo, we can't do it, we can't do it. So God says, you don't want to, you don't want to go for a walk. So they had the place with all this stuff, and they lost the place, and now they're on the edge of the place again. They're, 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 they're close. They're this close. But they're complaining about it. 
because they don't like the conditions when they're this close. Like the kids in the back seat. You know, you're five minutes from Disney World. He pinched me. She pulled my hair. Now, let's go back in their history. 38, 40 years ago, similar incident happened there in Exodus 17. If you're taking notes, in a place called Rephidim. And history is repeating itself. There's no water. God, Moses says to God, God, they're picking up stones to stone me because there's no water here. And, and, and the people that are there now, because God said none of you will enter the promised land, except for Caleb and Joshua who said, we want to go in. And so these are their kids. And they know what happened to their parents. They turned around, took a walk. They all died. And they know it was because of their unbelief they didn't enter the promised land. And do you know what they actually just said? They said, we wish the same thing would happen to us. Man, that is a dangerous statement to make. That is just, you know, you know, you got, I remember growing up, you know, I, I learned there are just some things I just didn't say to my dad, or, or my dad's belt and I would be in fellowship together. <laughs> and so, and so, and, uh, but, but, you don't say that to God. You don't say, man, I, I wish you would punish me like you punished them. I don't, don't say that. In other words, they're, they're saying to Moses, and indirectly they're saying to God, or God's there listening. They're like, we are so upset about the current circumstances. We are so joyless in God, we would prefer to be dead. And what do they do? What do they do with the sin in their heart? They blame Moses and Aaron. They say, it's your fault. It's not their fault. It's the sin in their heart. Now, if you're a leader, if you're a boss, if you're a parent, you have, or you will, some of you are like, I want to be a parent someday, but after you say this stuff, Pastor Jim, I'm not always so sure. You have, or you will, have people blame you for circumstances that you have nothing to do with. That is ultimately caused by the sin in their heart, not what you did. And what will they do, like what these people do? They will recruit other people to their cause. And if you try and talk to them, they usually can't even tell you why they're mad at you. And they'll just get frustrated and they'll just lie about you. You're like, well, why do they do that? Because to them it's okay. You, you, know, you know why it's okay? You know why it's okay for these people to treat Moses like this? Do you know why? Because Moses is not human to them. Moses is not supposed to have any problems. Oh, your sister died, Moses? Come on, get on with it. You're the man of God. You can't be emotional about it. Look at your brother Aaron. He's hobbling around. He's going to die at the end of this chapter. I don't mean to ruin it for you. We're not going to get there today. He's going to be gone soon too, Moses. 
and there's no water, is there? Well, there's no water for Moses either. <laughs> but Moses isn't supposed to have any of these problems because he's the leader. He's not human. Can't have these problems, Moses. Not to mention, did Moses bring them there? No. God brought them there. And after years of protecting them, after years of providing for them in the wilderness, a crisis comes and they lose their faith. They just lose it. They are so close to the promised land. Really, walk over the hill and go get some water. That's about what it is. You see, but that's going to take faith and trust because they know that there's enemies over there. That's going to take grace-motivated effort. But they don't want to put in the effort. Why? Because entitlement has just taken over their hearts. That's what entitlement does to us. We think we're, we think we're good people we think we're followers of God. They think they're good people. They think they're followers of God. And so they think, well, we deserve what we want. And it happens so easily to all of us. You see, but God never promised them it would be easy. God never promised any of us who are followers of Jesus, if you're not, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're watching. But God didn't promise us that life would always be easy. He promised us the forgiveness of sins and the assurance of eternal life in heaven if we put our trust in his son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life. Which included, he didn't complain. So right now, for these people in Numbers 20, maybe about 1,500 years later, for the apostles, and right now, for every Christian here, every Christian watching, every Christian we know, we are in a test. We are in a test right now. Now, I'm not going to ask you to grade yourself on how you did last year. I'm going to ask you, what do you want your grade to be this year? Are, are, are you and I, are we the, the complainers because we don't like the conditions of the world right now? We don't like the conditions of our country. We don't like the conditions of, of the limitations that we have on us right now are, are, that, that God has actually allowed or did. I don't know. I, I'm not him. I'm just figuring, you know, I'm just trying to be faithful. Are we going to continue in that? Or are we going to say this year we're going to look at things differently? And say, God, I'm sorry for last year. I'm sorry. My faith was weak. I compromised. I had a billion and one excuses. 
I forgot about you. I forgot about my friends. I forgot about everything. That might not be you. You say, you have any solutions? You know, for me, what I, this is all I did. I tried to double up on everything. <laughs> and I ended up at about one and a half. <laughs> because I know that if I, if I just slack, I slack. So here's the test. Are you and I, are we going to abandon ship or are we going to believe God for a secure future? That's really what it's coming down to for these people. That's what it's coming down for all of us. Abandon ship. That's it. I'm done. I followed you, God, and this is what I get. This is, this is, some of you are newer Christians. This is 2007 revisited. That bad economy. People were like, well, God, I gave money to the church. I volunteered. I, I, I was faithful, I do this, and I lose my job, and I lose my house, and I lose my business, and, and this is what I get? I'm out, I'm done. And a lot of people left the faith. And so the point of decision is really now. You say, but Pastor Jim, they need water. I believe the Lord might say to them and to us, why are you letting your anxiety turn into complaining instead of letting your anxiety turn into prayer? Why, why, are, you, why are you talking to Moses? What, what, why are you complaining to him? Why aren't you talking to me? The Apostle Paul would write these words from jail. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I will be honest with you, as a Christian for over 30 years, I, 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 too many of our prayers are laments. There, I just said it. I'm thinking to myself, I've been all week, I'm like, how can I say that nicely? And I had a nicely crafted sentence, and I just tossed it. <laughs> now, there's a place for lamenting. There is a place for sadness. But what does Paul say? With thanksgiving. So I, I hope and pray as a church that we turn that around this year. That no matter what's going on, we are looking always for something to be thankful for. We lost a dear brother last weekend. Dear brother. So many people didn't know who he was until they saw his picture and they go, that's the guy at the door with the big smile. I'm sad, but I am so thankful for that brother. So thankful. So thankful for that smile. Sure, we could all sit around and be sad all the time. But we got to see that particular brother, and I've seen many of, many of you that guy comes here, doesn't know Jesus from a hole in the wall, and God just flips his life right side up. 
So I hope and pray that this year and years going forward that this church is looking more for things to be thankful for than to always be so sad about. And he says, if you're that way, verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Your heart will be guarded. He'll send angels to guard your heart, man. It will be, it will be protected. Now let's think about these people here in Numbers chapter 20. They heard the stories of what Egypt was like. They hated Egypt. But now, like their parents, they want to go back there. They're full of fear. They're not full of faith. They don't know what the future holds. They forget who holds it. Now, you might say, in light of all of what happened in the wilderness, I've read those stories, Pastor Jim. I've seen the movies, right? I know who Charlton Heston is. I know all of this stuff that's going on. I, I find this hard to believe. Really? Really? This is what I love about Calvary Chapel. We are not prim and proper church people. I came from prim and proper church growing up as a kid. It was full of phonies. I know so many followers of Jesus, present company included, who used to be on drugs, who used to be addicted to alcohol, who had gambling addictions, pornography addictions, bad, wretched marriages, broke, no money at all. I could go on and on and on. And God delivered them. He not only gave them the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, he took all that other junk out of their life. Some immediately, some it took a long time. But now you know what they're doing? They're complaining. Because they don't like the way things are going right now. I don't like it. The last nine months, nine months, I don't like it. So I'll punish God. I won't go to church. Nah, 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 nah. I won't read my Bible. I won't go to my community group. Because I don't like what's going on. Ready to abandon God and his people. And both are important because God sent his son to die for his people. You see, here's the problem. And please, this is, this is self-diagnosis here. You're like, he's just telling us about himself. Yeah, I might be right. Here's the, here's the problem. When our eyes are on what we don't have, when our eyes are on what we don't like, our eyes are completely off of what we have been given. And when they are completely off of what we have been given, they are completely off 
of who we have been given. They're no longer on Jesus. They're on politics. They're on my rights. They're on this. They're on that. They're on all kinds of other stuff. And then we wonder why we have no influence in the world. We wonder why we're not making a difference that we want to make. You're like, oh, well, Jesus loves you. They're like, dude, you don't look like you've got an ounce of love in your life. You see, they forgot the Lord. They ignored the Lord. They're even coming to despise him. Why? Because they don't like what's going on in their life. They are equating God with the circumstances of their life not knowing that God uses these wretched circumstances in our lives to grow us. Seriously, Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, we should come out of this thing like a battering ram. We should come out of this thing so strong that people do not know what to do with us. So much more united, loving Jesus so much more. People will be like, we don't even know where to put everybody. Because that's what God wants to put in us. Do, do you want to be these complaining people? I don't. This, this passage makes me sick. Since I'm already making enough enemies, let me make some more. If right now, and I'm dead serious, man. I say this with a broken heart. Right now, if you don't see the sin of abandoning God and you're doing it, if you don't see the sin of abandoning his people, and I understand a lot of reasons why a lot of people got to stay home. That's not what this is about. If you don't understand the sin of abandoning his people. If all this time now maybe has you at home more now. You're left to yourself more. And there's more sin in your life right now than there was before. And all of this doesn't hurt your soul. You might not be a Christian. you might need to actually turn to God and put your trust in Jesus today. Or you might just be a prodigal that's very far away. So what do Moses and Aaron do? Verse 6, So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces. 100% perfect response. They do the right thing. People come to them, they're complaining. What do they do? They go to the Lord. That's the right thing to do. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the rod, some of your verses say the staff, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. 
Get all the people together. Get them all. And very important, here's the instructions. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Remember that. Speak to the rock before its eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. Moses had dedicated his life to these people. Some of you know that pain. You, you have dedicated your life to a child and, and they just really have gone sideways. You know that pain. And, and he has dedicated his life to these people. He has served them night and day. He has sweat blood for these people. And they're complaining about him. Some people, it's just never enough, right? They don't have the common decency to talk to him about it. They just complain about it. They make a judgment without any facts. And this is the sad part. This is the sad part of life. In reality, sometimes the people you help the most turn against you the worst. And they attack you. It's absolutely incredible. The, ingrat- the level of ingratitude is absolutely incredible. And the ingratitude of this group of people's parents cost them a 38-year walk. I- I've had to help over the years many of you sort this out. You come to me and you're like, my friends are so, my friend is so mad at me. I'm like, why are they mad at you? Well, they, they, they came to me for advice. I told them what to do. And they went and did the opposite. And everything completely fell apart. Life crashed in on them, and now somehow it's my fault. So many of you have had to go through that. And here's the thing. I know it hurts, but, but friends, God holds us all responsible for our weak faith. God holds us all responsible for our self-centeredness, our lack of love, and, and, and the lies we tell when we're mad at people. He holds us accountable for our, our thoughtlessness, our prayerlessness, our carelessness, our abandonment of God and His people and our kingdom responsibilities when we react so poorly just because we're not happy with the way things are going. Now, once again, Miriam, her betrayal, that doesn't keep her out of heaven, but it limits what God is doing in her life. It limited it. Philippians chapter 4, again, the Apostle Paul's in prison, verse 11 through 13. He says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned... And whatever state I am in, some versions say circumstances, to be content. I know how to be abased. Some versions say brought low or in need. And I know how to abound. I know how to have plenty. Everywhere and in all things, meaning in all circumstances, 
I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. You know what he's essentially telling us? He's essentially telling us, my heart's right. My heart's right with God. The circumstances are not going to change what's going on between God and I. It might change my prayers, but it's not going to change my love for him and his love for me. Things on the outside are not good. But you know what? Things on the inside are good. And when things on the inside are good, you can face things on the outside that are not good. Then he goes on with that famous verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Verse 9, so, so Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. Now, in Exodus chapter 17, the first time, long time ago, when there was no water, God told Moses to strike the rock once with the rod. So maybe, maybe Moses and Aaron are thinking, good, I got the rod, we're going we're gonna to do some damage here. Right? We're going to show these people. But what did God say in verse 8 very plainly and very clearly? Speak to the rock before their eyes and it will yield its water. Before, strike the rock once. This time, you don't need to strike it at all. Just talk to the rock. Verse 10. So Moses walks up to the rock. He's tired, man. He's worn out. Maybe you're tired and you're worn out. Be careful. Be very careful. He's grieving. He's, he's been hurt by people that he loved. And he gets up to the people he gets all the people together. He steps up to the rock. And this is his moment to just speak to the rock. But he doesn't speak to the rock. Look what he does. He speaks to the people. And he says, Here now, listen, you rebels. Probably more like this. Here now, you rebels. Must we? <laughs> it's like, you expecting Aaron and I? Must we bring water for you out of this rock? No, Moses. God said he would do it. Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Because you did not... Believe me, to hallow me or to uphold me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Moses, you misrepresented me. I told you what I wanted to do this time. You misrepresented me. Moses, there's going to be a consequence for that. It's going to be serious for that. Therefore, you, you guys... Moses and Aaron, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. All these years. And one thing he does. And now he's not going into the promised land. 
This was the water of Meribah. That means the place of strife or quarreling because the children of Israel contended. They quarreled with the Lord and he was hallowed among them. Now, this is not just the people complaining about Moses. Now it's turned into Moses complaining about the people. You rebels. Now, if you're from the south, you might like that. But you rebels. You just picture if social media was out then, like people taking pictures of Moses, like that thing is all over the world in a second. But we got it in the Bible, so it's all over the world anyway. See, it appears the accumulation of anger and frustration and pain and hurt and betrayal about Moses' life finally caught up with him. And here's something I want you to listen to. It's going to have a very different meaning for each one of you. Moses just can't let it go. He just can't let it go. After all I've done for these people, or how I've been betrayed, or how I don't like what's going on. Last time, maybe not. He just can't let it go. And I realize for some of you watching at home, watch, sitting here, that might be a harsh word, but for some of you, that might be freedom. Or at least the first step to freedom that you know there is something that you need to let go. Now, whatever it is, and I realize for some things it's a process. It's not just as simple as saying, I let go. But realize this, loved ones, if you can't let it go, you might find it a lot harder in your life getting to where the Lord wants to take you. Where does Moses want to go? He wants to go to the promised land. I don't think that's heaven. I think it's the abundant Christian life. Why? Because there's giants in the land. I'm not expecting to fight giants when I get to heaven. It'd be fun if you always win, but, you know. <laughs> but, but, but he can't, because he can't let it go, he can't get to where God wants to take him. And that's the same is true for us. If you can't let it go, it's really hard to grow because you're not noticing that your soul is in deep, deep trouble. See, there's something else. We all know people who, who can't let certain things go. And we need to help them. That means we're going to have to stop always making excuses for them. You see, here's the reality God says to, to Moses. And I, I can't tell you how many times God has said this to me. 
it, it, is like a, it is like a loving dagger to the heart. If you can't let it go, you can't lead God's people. You just can't. Because this is what happens. This is how you end up. Pastors are dropping like flies in the Christian ministry the last couple years. Anger in their hearts, can't let it go. Can't lead God's people. If you can't forgive, if you're just, your life is just, just full of bitterness, you, you may end up like Miriam was, kind of being disqualified from what God has for you. It doesn't mean you're not going to go to heaven. But God's like, no, we got another thing we got to deal with first. See, that's what happened to Moses. Moses, man, the people's souls were in trouble. God saw it. God's like, Moses, man, look. Just go speak to the rock, man. Let me just bless these people. Let me just bless them. Just go speak to the rock. Uh, let me, let me, Moses, let me deal with the other stuff. Just, just do it. But what did Moses do? He made it all about him. He made it all about him. And not the Lord. Moses says, you want me to give you water? What is that? Moses is getting careless with the word of God. Well, we got to be careful of that. Can't get careless with the word of God. Why is Moses getting careless with the word of God? Because he's been hurt. And so what does he do? He smacks the rock twice. It's unbelief. Years ago, it was unbelief that kept the people out of the promised land. They left Egypt. They got all the way to the promised land. Unbelief kept them out. And now it, it's going to keep Moses out of the promised land. And if you don't put your trust in Jesus, it will keep you out of heaven. God said to Moses, speak to the rock. And what did Moses do? He spoke to the people. We often say it, you know, sometimes we talk to people too much about God and not God enough about people. But again, maybe 1,500 years later, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, the Apostle Paul tells us that the rock was Christ. So in Exodus 17, the rock was only struck once. Just like God struck his son once on the cross. There's no need to keep doing it over and over again. So, so we don't strike the rock anymore. We speak to the rock. And we speak of the rock. You see, on the cross, God allowed his son to be struck for our sins. So all who put their trust in him can experience the forgiveness of sins and the power of the grace of God. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, that is the good news for you today. 
But there's a point to all this. And it's really a one-sentence point. Could have saved you a lot of time, right? Don't miss it. Don't miss it. And if you have your own Bible, get ready to underline and circle and star, star, star. In the midst of the rebellion of God's people. In the midst of the disobedience of God's people. In the midst of the complaining of God's people. Look in the middle of verse 11. The water came out abundantly. Some of your versions say the the water gushed out. What is that? That's grace. That's grace. Moses, the people need grace now. I'll take care of it. They need me now, Moses. You see, on the cross, God abundantly poured out his wrath against sin on Jesus. And now, he abundantly pours out his grace upon those who believe. But grace is very hard to experience when you're complaining. Grace is very hard to see when you don't like the conditions. Why? Why why did Moses miss everything? Because Moses made it about Moses. And if we make it about us or our circumstances or what we don't like, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss it. Now, before you give up on Moses, I think it's so cool that he wrote this. I, I, it shows us that uh, he is so secure in God. He is so secure in God, and, and he does not have to look good. I, I'm, again, I'm going to speak as a man to, to the men in the audience. I so admire a man that is okay with not looking good all the time. I think, a guy, I think if you've got to look good all the time, it's one of the weakest traits you could have as a man. He's humble to admit that in his anger and complaining, he missed grace on the way home. <laughs> I wonder if he thought, God, how many times... In my wretched heart over these last 40 years have I missed your grace because I was so absorbed in the complaining of all of these people. I think we all need to see that today. And I think we all need to see that this year. The many blessings we do have the abundant grace that God continues to pour out on all of us. Most of all, we have Jesus. 
It's like if he took away everything. In eternity, you will know that that was enough. Seeing the grace of God in our lives and in the lives of others is a great cure for complaining. Seeing the grace of God will really help you from falling away, will really help you from abandoning the people of God. Now, some of you right now, if you don't know the Bible well, or maybe you weren't here with us when we studied through Matthew's gospel, you feel bad for Moses. Don't. He got to the promised land. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus the Savior goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration and meets Moses the failure. <laughs> and Isaiah shows up too. The law and the prophets are there with Jesus. Another failure comes along named Peter and says, let's build Mount Rushmore. <laughs> but God was gracious. So if Moses was here today, I would sit down and camp out, listen to him. I think he would tell all of us, I think he would tell you at home, you here, you watching whenever. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to put your trust in him. Because that's the only way you're going to make it home. But if you are a follower of Jesus, I think Moses would say, listen, don't make the mistake that I made. I was almost home and I gave up. I think Moses would tell us, you're almost home. Don't give up. See the grace of God and speak to the rock. And you will find that he will pour out living water, that he will pour out grace. And if you give him the chance, he will pour it out abundantly. Let's stand and pray.